Hello and welcome to Pale Reflections, a proud member of the Doof Network where we reflect on Wabo's most ritualistic work as it releases. I'm Ruben Morehouse. And I'm not Elliot Diebold. Whoa, twist. That's a, that's a snowdrop, snowdrop joke. Oh my God. Let's get yeah. those out of the way right now. Yeah. Oh yeah, so I should say we're not recording this episode <laughs> completely in opposite speak. So it's going to be a great episode. <laughs> <laughs> no, let's uh, put that aside right now, I think. Um, yes. We are here to talk about Stolen Away 2.8. I just keep wanting, I keep wanting to make opposite day jokes now. And it's just stupid. I mean, it's just stupid. It's the highest form of humor. Yeah. Um, <laughs> we are not talking about Stolen Away 2.8. <laughs> 2.9, the bonus material called End of the Trail, which, oh, God, um, as well as, of course, coming up later, diving into some pale predictions and a new discussion question and an outro. I mean, we never usually talk about it, but it's fun. Maybe, you know, maybe there are people who just listen to this show for the outros. And if you are out there, can I just say you are bizarre. Let's get into it. Um, Yes. So we begin with Stolen Away 2.8, which is from Lucy's POV, and it starts with a very relatable situation. Lucy is trying to show her movie, uh, her family, a movie that she loves, and they just are not appreciating it. Yeah, it's uh, MediaMD.txt. Yeah, exactly. It's all those terrible shows that you tried to get me to watch from MediaMD. <laughs> um, you know, it's it's very relatable. And I really like the idea that Lucy is like clearly comes across as a horror movie buff because obviously the other verse is a kind of horror trope aware kind of um set of of stories and worlds so the idea that lucy is like horror trope aware leading to why she maybe seems quite competent in this world and (laughs) is is clearly kind of taking to it pretty well i think is is great and i hope that that continues to be the case like she comes up against horror tropes and she's like no we shouldn't split up and go our separate ways we should all (laughs) stick together or whatever right i think that's hilarious yeah you're right she has sort of been the consistent voice of reason in how they're engaging with like actual literal monsters um, <laughs> yep. so yeah you can kind of see especially if horror is her reference for all this stuff you can see why she's so much more cautious than the other two who are yeah. maybe leaning more into like fairy tales in avery's case yes exactly and it, and it's great because like the stories are horror trope aware so i think a character who also is horror yep. trope aware it's just it just like works perfectly i love it as an idea yeah absolutely um there's also like a really interesting bit where lucy dives into why why she likes this particular movie or or kind Mm. of doesn't um and and like it really sort of starts to nail in a bit more this idea she has this very punitive like eye for an eye sense of justice like one of the things she criticizes this movie for not doing she's like well she says the killer doesn't suffer enough before he dies you know, like if you're going to do this stuff, you need to have just as bad things punitive happen, justice happy, yeah. happen to you. Yeah, it's like a very understandable, but like very you know harsh sense of, of justice, and and we're going to see a bit more of it, I think, later in the chapter. But it's, I think that's going to be interesting. Like that's something this story I think has been touching on a lot, and as we maybe get to the the end point of the story is. You know, once we've solved the mystery, you've kind of got to decide what happens then, right? Mm, and what happens maybe... to the, you know, the, the uh, what do you call it? The perpetrator. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It's, it's like, okay, once we figured out who killed the Carmine Beast or, or, you know, did whatever other awful things happen between now and then, yeah. um, 
they're going to kind of have to decide what to do with them. And, yeah. you know, it, I, I, I'm going to start to try and look for what Avery and Verona's opinions on this sort of stuff might be, because that could be a potential source of conflict. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Like um, Avery, just, just thinking on Verona's dad, she, Avery, I think, is yes. going to be a lot less, like, you know, punitive in, yes, in the way, exactly. or the less harsh anyway. Yeah, I mean, we'll have to see. Um, I suspect Avery is going through some transformative experiences of her own in these chapters. So, Yes, Avery, you know. as we know her, may not be relevant in a couple of chapters. Well, I hope that's not to that extent. Jesus Christ. <laughs> um, yeah, these chapters are a lot of us meeting characters that we uh, have been hoping to meet for a while, um, with the first of those being Booker. Yeah. Uh, who we finally get to meet. And he's just as great as I think we were all hoping that he would be. Yeah, he really lives up to the hype, doesn't he? Yeah. Um, it, it's just so aggravating how, like, short this conversation is. Like, there's the deadline because Booker, he says he's working, like, 10 till midnight, which is a crazy shift. I don't know what job he does. And then he um, has a thing at, at dawn as well, right? Or he yeah. said, like, really early in the morning at sunrise or whatever. God, being at college. Um <laughs> that's not my that's not my experience i mean i didn't go to college i went to university i know you had a college college experience Elliot, but like for i mean me, just it was more, much more... the opposite where i was very very lazy <laughs> i didn't yeah. do anything played dota all day yeah f- fair enough i i mine much more relates to the idea of doing something till midnight not necessarily like right, work sure, like sometimes work, work sometimes though, yeah. just drinking until, until 2 a.m i get but and then, yeah. and then getting up at dawn Anyway, Maybe that's uh, what's happening. Maybe Booker was just off to play a game of Dota or go drinking <laughs> and didn't want to, you know, wanted a better excuse to stop talking to Lucy. <laughs> um, maybe but he yeah. isn't as awesome as we thought. Yeah, maybe. He, yeah, well, if he plays Dota. Um, yeah, well, yeah, definitely. If he plays Dota. No, um, only, only pieces of shit play Dota. That's <laughs> a true fact. You know what? Mm. Here's a bit. Here's a bit of headcanon for everyone. Right. Oh, Mobas in with the hot predictions. Okay. Mobas, Mobas in the other verse. I guarantee you, thirty percent of the playing population is goblins. Oh, that totally explains it. Because <laughs> yeah, the people who and honestly, I mean, like maybe just like people who play games in general. Like, <laughs> I bet there's a certain type of goblin that just exists on you know Xbox Live <laughs> Arcade or whatever. Yeah, the I fucked your mum goblin. Yeah, exactly, and and just exists to to take a space where people are enjoying a hobby and make it miserable, and that's their <laughs> whole jam. I can totally see that. Um, anyway, yeah. sorry, yes, mm. back to Booker. Um, uh, like, it, but you know, so aside from just the the deadline of this weird shift at work and all that, um, he's also like uh, Alyssa, his girlfriend, kind of keeps coming in, and Lucy has what mm. I would describe as a very unfair but completely understandable sort of. I mean, yeah. a- annoyance at like her interrupting the time she has with Booker. Yeah. Um, it, like it's totally irrational, but like I totally would feel the same. Um, yes, it's exacerbated by the fact that she has very high opinions of Booker as well, and so therefore, you know, whoever he ends up dating has to live up to her impossibly high standards. So it's really like there's really a few hurdles for Alyssa to jump through before she'll earn Lucy's respect, I suppose. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Like, and that's just what happens when you care that much about a family member. Yeah. Um, but I yeah, wanna... like, like the, the 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 crushing part of this whole book of conversation is how much she she actually does kind of let him in. It's like the first time yeah. we actually see her really let someone in, and it's just yeah. such a short call by its nature and it was just like oh it's crushing yeah um i I think 
again, you know, obviously last chapter with Lucy was really about the kind of societal exhaustion that she's feeling. And you, you still do feel it here. Like she's just so on edge. Um, there's like, there's no downtime for her. Even this kind of relaxing thing, she can't let herself be fully relaxed in. And obviously like it sucks and it sucks because the the world of the practice that she's entered into means that that's going to be even more true going forward. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah. Well, she talks about always sort of needing to have her teeth out and that's yeah. possibly literally true in the yeah. world that she's now entered. Like it's going to take that problem and dial it up to 11. Yeah. Um, and, and, and you're right. This is prevalent right throughout the start of this chapter in particular. Like there's a bit where Heather sort of laughs at her at the at the start because of how like you know how into the movie she is and yeah. you know like heather's doing it in a kind of like in like loving like fun way but lucy's first reaction is you know thinking heather is making fun of making her, fun and, of her. And is being yeah. mean and yeah. like that's just that's where her her mind goes first even with someone she's as close to as heather like so it's yeah. just you, you can really see it from the get-go um yeah um and, and she, well, she she sort of talks to Booker about this. There's the you know, Lucy describes it as she's always going to have her teeth out by default, and people kind of need to look past that. Yes. Whereas Booker sort of takes a bit, or seems to take a bit more of a stance of like give people a chance first, and then you know get your teeth out if they prove themselves to be pieces of shit. Yeah, and I don't know. I think they're both valid approaches. I mean, Lucy's obviously had enough shit piled on her that you know you can't really criticize her for being no. especially wary no exactly but like uh, like i think booker's point that he tries to sort of make to her is like hopefully for her in the long run it's better if she lets her guard down and like and, and forms those bonds like that's basically yeah what he's what he's saying and if we think about like what w- was being said about the the way the Kennedys were all sort of trending to other because they were a bit isolated. Like, I think maybe Booker has a bit of a point. Yeah, he's bang on, but for sure. at the same time, like, it's not like she's like this for no reason. So, like, yeah. Mm, yeah. Um, it's interesting. Thinking about all of these things that, like, and, and the fact that Lucy is so on edge, it, it made me put it into this context of, like, we know, we learned in, I think it was the last chapter, that at least goblins in in this universe have the tendency to like pile on to people who are already down right they have the tendency to kick people while they're down and that might be true for other others as well Mm. and i also kind of connected this with the thought that it seems like a lot of the stronger emotional you know taxing stuff that the the trio has faced so far has disproportionately affected lucy and it it made me connect it with the idea that like maybe because she's so on edge already she's kind of more karmically in air quotes more likely to have things happen that that push her her further to that edge like i'm not saying it's intentional but it even could be intentional where the candidate others are trying to push her further along the path right with goblin teaching her these curses or Faye setting up situations to like frustrate and alienate her or even john maybe threatening her with a gun to keep her on edge in their first encounter it seems like she's more so being kept on edge and it might even be intentional to fuck with her which is pretty horrifying yeah so so you're sort of saying like i guess being on edge like that is kind of for want of a better phrase like her pattern or something like it's what the universe is perhaps like karmically trying to do to her because that was sort of what was already happening yeah, like, or so even, the, the universe is just being a giant piece of shit, basically. Well, yeah, kind of maintaining that as her status quo, right? Yeah, I, I mean, yeah, exactly. Yeah, 
which would be shit. Um, but I, I don't know. Could be true. We'll we'll see. I guess. Yeah, I mean, it's interesting because part of me also just thinks that it's she's the only sane person in this trio who's doing like like the things they've gone through are objectively anxiety inducing yes for sure and she's just kind of the only one who's reacting appropriately yeah um but i i think you know the other verse has proven itself as this kind of world where like um the the doyleist and and watsonian interpretations are kind of you know doing each other so they're enmeshed yeah like i i guess yeah like it's it could be both i suppose Mm. is is what i'm trying to say um classic yeah could be both (laughs) It's always could be both, I think. Um, yeah, uh, yeah, we'll see. Uh, so Lucy and Booker continue to have this conversation with uh, no easy answers. Yeah, I, yeah. I mean, it, it just it just sucks, and mm. I, I do think Booker handles the conversation very well. Yes, well, like in my opinion, he. I, I really like the moment where Lucy kind of explains to him what she thinks went on with Paul. And he doesn't let her have any doubts. Like he sort of realizes that she's been holding on to this for years and closure is, is absolutely what she needs. So he just sort of ironds it out. He's like, no, wait, your interpretation is my interpretation. There's no way that's not it. It just is it. Yeah. We can't have come to this interpretation and it not be true. Basically is what he says. Yeah, exactly. And I think it's really important that he emphasizes that point because otherwise there's always going to be that part of her head. Lucy talks about where it's just spinning and, and like kind of congesting and and booker just sort of i think understands that you know this isn't going to make the problem go away but i think it's an important first step to be like no that's what it is yeah, you're right we need yeah. to accept it or well, not, yeah. not accept it but like accept that it's reality Except that's what happened yeah yeah um yeah he, he does do very well i wanted to read out this specific quote which had a strong reaction to me which was where he says Some stuff only feels heavy because we get stuck out on our own, nothing to use as a measuring stick to figure out how big the problem is in front of us. Um, Which I really like as a, uh, as just general advice. But my first reaction to it was like, well, this isn't true for them as (laughs) practitioners, right? But then I thought about it again and I'm like, I don't know, like maybe it is. I mean, we'll get into Nicolette Belanger a bit more these chapters, obviously, who's being set up as this, uh, overarching antagonist for the next few chapters, arcs, whatever. But it's possible that when they do eventually meet her, or if not her, other practitioners, yeah. there will be a chance for them to actually get some sense of connection to other practitioners that isn't <clears throat> going to be damaging to them. I don't know. It, it seems unlikely, but it might be true that actually just having other people around that you can help use to contextualize your practitioner experiences might be what they need. Yeah, well, I, I suppose, you know, Miss has always sort of taught us that one of the big dangers of all the other practitioners in the world is how networked they are. Um, and that's probably maybe in part because they're su- able to support each other that way. Mm. Um, yeah, I don't know. I, I actually originally wanted to try and apply this advice to Kenneth and be like, oh, Kenneth's just trying to sit on its own outside the world and it needs to connect more. Um, but actually everything Miss has said about practitioners makes me think that that isn't true. So, mm. um yeah, I don't know. It, it just makes me think these three need to go to that school and, or, or at least send <laughs> one of Hogwarts, them. See, yeah. see what the rest of the practitioners are like, because that's the only way they're going to be able to find someone with a stick that's even remotely comparable to theirs. Yeah, I mean, maybe it will be, maybe this is what we're going to get, right? We're going to get each of them having their misgift play out, right? We've got Avery's, I mean, Lucy's was the, the 
gun. I mean, the soda can gun or, you know, the weapon ring, I guess. So hers was yeah. already kind of played out. But at least for Avery and Verona, having their misgifts play out and see what happens. I don't know. I, based on how Avery's one is going, maybe that's not the right <laughs> the right thing to hope for. Yeah, we'll see. I, I think it'll be interesting to see where we end up with Nicolette, as you sort of touched on. Like, is she... I mean, they obviously try to not be enemies with her in this chapter, and it doesn't yes, work and that out. Doesn't go anywhere in this yeah. or the next chapter. Um, but we know we know nothing about her at all. Like, I I, I don't know. I I'm, I can't wait to find out more about Nicolette and see what. Wait, maybe they don't have to be enemies. I, I don't know. Maybe, maybe Nicolette Belanger I mean, doesn't she's, even she's exist in these next two chapters. So she might, she might not even exist, Elliot. Like, well, yeah, yeah I saw that. I saw that part. Saw of that notes. Notes. Okay, we'll get to that later. <laughs> Let's put our tinfoil on when we get there. Maybe. Um, yeah, but yeah, uh, this conversation with Booker is great. Um, yeah, there, there's this moment where Lucy kind of breaks the dam and starts to let Booker in, talking about this problem that she's facing. And it uh, again, I just kind of want to think like. What would it look like if she's actually able to push past the, you know, the disbelief that is natural when the uninitiated find out about this stuff and see if she can let Booker in completely? Like, how would that go? I mean, I, I don't think it will happen, but, man, I just want them to have more support, you know? Yeah, I mean, that's the conundrum with this stuff because on the one hand, like, I mean, we're constantly yelling at these three to let people in and get more yeah. support. But then on the other hand, don't do that to these poor people. They don't know yeah. about this world and you should keep it that way. Lucy um, explicitly calls out that, you know, the the idea of getting them kind of enmeshed and tangled up in it. Yeah. Um, as, a, as a thing that she really wants to avoid, which, fair enough, you know. Yeah, I mean, and that's that's the shittiness of this situation is you you can't lean on these people for support because yeah. to do so would endanger them. Um, it's basically <sighs> like the Spider-Man <clears throat> identity dilemma. Yeah, um, yeah. I just, I just, yeah. I just think Booker would be a great person to have in your corner, <laughs> fully initiated, right? Like, yeah, you'd think so. Yeah, I will see. Hey, maybe that'll happen. You never know. Um, yeah, uh, I guess. So you know, this conversation wraps up. Luce heads out to to meet with the others, and they basically start to talk Miss through their plan. Yeah. Um. I. I mean. But before they. Before Lucy does go up and meet with the others, though, I want to call out this bit where she's leaving. Where she sort of tells her mom she's going out, and there's sort of a bit of a you know negotiation here because Jazz is kind of like, no, what do you? It's like the middle of the night. No, and you know Lucy's like, I'm not grounded, and it's like I don't give a shit if you're grounded. It's like <laughs> yeah. 8 p.m. at night. And you just it's want a to fair leave, point. Like, on a school night. Yeah. Um. It just. I, I mean, the crushing thing here is Jazz is kind of like, I think you need me to be a parent. I, I want to make you stay. And Lucy then basically thinks, I kind of hope you'd force me to stay yeah. as well. Like, I need to do this, but I don't want to. And it's, again, yeah. just crushing. It reminded me of Gabe in 1.Z, how, mm. like, you kept being like, Gabe, don't sign up for this fucking ritual. And he kept having, like, near calls with everything. And then he still mm. did it. And I felt the same with Lucy here. I was like, no, Lucy, just stay with your mom and Aunt Heather. Put on that yeah. stupid movie again. Make them watch it. Yeah. Go for a second time around. Maybe <laughs> it'll work better. Yeah. Um, but, alas, she heads off. Um, and so they call Miss. And, <laughs> I mean, okay, we should talk about this plan a bit. But there's this one line that Miss says, not specifically in reference to this, but I think it does sum it up pretty well, where Miss says, there are possible ways forward that are simpler. And I'm just kind of like, yeah, miss, why is this there? <laughs> so the, their plan is, as I understand it, Elliot, get 
Avery to the paths because if Avery goes to the paths, she'll basically be able to effectively travel better and help them travel more easily to the site of this final night of Reagan's um, Hungry Choir ritual, right? That's more mm-hmm. or less the plan. That's a bad yep. plan. Like It's a shit plan. It's, it's a real the, bad plan. The, the I, real I think we talked of... about this at the end of last week's episode. Like, just yeah. go to where Reagan is. It, it's it's the plan that is the equivalent of like, oh, we need to catch a ride, so what should we do? Oh, I know, we'll kidnap somebody and force them at gunpoint to drive us there, right? <laughs> it's the equivalent of this plan where like there are three or four other options you could take, you know, a bus or a car or a taxi. I mean, like, yeah, they're expensive, but ask John for some money or something, you know? Like, I don't know. I, I, I know none of the, they all have their own faults, but I do feel like these three aren't thinking of the non-practical, practitioner solutions and miss also isn't helping i think miss clearly is just kind of pushing avery into becoming a finder a bit here yeah absolutely i was sort of gonna bring that up it's just yeah like the way miss miss barely questions at all what is i I think we could agree a a stupid way to go about trying to get there um (laughs) yeah yeah i think i i i want to talk more about miss with the reveal at the end of the chapter and and what she might be thinking here because i absolutely think that it's not an accident that uh, she's just kind of like, hey, Avery, go go be a finder. Yeah. Um, but I, I, there is that interesting bit because originally they actually are arguing about who's going to go. Like Verona's not in contention because she's the smartest one there. Mm-hmm. Um, but Lucy wants to go because she feels this responsibility. Like, you know, again, she has to be the one to do it, um, which is sort of very her. But what sort of settles it is Mrs. kind of like, no, whoever does this, like this is a big ritual and it will sort of establish what kind of practitioner you are. Yeah. And I, I think that's really interesting because what kinds of practitioner are they? Like, do we know of any apart from like Augur, Heartless and Finder? Like it just seems like Avery's kind of picking a career when she only knows about the careers of like, you know, janitor, doctor and lawyer. And she doesn't <laughs> the realize that there's like a thousand other is, jobs yeah. out there. Yeah, it's interesting. Um, yeah, I guess we don't, right? Um, we don't really. Uh-uh. Yeah, wait, wait. Yeah, I, I, you know, Miss says you can career change essentially, um, mm. but it's like hard because your first big ritual kind of tells the spirits, "Hey, this is the type of practitioner I am." And what was what was Charles? He was oh, like a yeah. summoner or something, right? Yeah, they something he made others basically. Yeah. Um, so yeah, they right. do know of some other options, but. Yeah, it does seem like Avery is, like, I don't know, maybe this is a bit mean to Avery, but it feels like she's, like, not a five-year-old, but someone young being like, when I grow up, I'm going to be a blah. And this is like, <laughs> yeah, 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 let me force you into signing this binding contract to become that when you grow up. Like, no, that's not an appropriate thing to do to a 13-year-old, you know? Yeah, yeah, because like, the origin of this thought for me was, I wonder what type of practitioner Lucy or verona is going to be and then i was sort of like i don't really know anything about any of the kinds of practitioners why is avery picking one already yeah totally (laughs) um and and i think i think this is going to come back to miss uh putting people in positions uh which is something she's very mindful of uh but we'll get to that later but yeah i like i just think it's interesting that they make this call that avery needs to do this because this is going to kind of be her job and um i mean she didn't have a good first day yeah, first day on the job, not a success. Um, <sighs> yes. Uh, so as they're preparing to send Avery into this ritual, 
Nicolette Belanger in air quotes makes another appearance through a number of animals that she sends at the trio. Yes, it's basically Nicolette and her happy tree friends making yeah, an appearance. Exactly. Um, again, a bit suspicious of this whole Nicolette Belanger thing because <laughs> there's this one line, the one line Miss makes reference to her, you know, in this chapter is where they're asking how old she is. Like, is, is she actually an eight-year-old that we're about to fuck with? And Miss says, if it is Nicolette Belanger, she's older than you by th- by you three by several years. If it was someone younger, they wouldn't have the talent, blah, blah, blah. It's a lot of, like, conditional language. I don't know. I, I don't think that's been 100% the case across all the times we've talked about Nicolette Belanger. But, again, just, like, it doesn't seem like this is... It's not what it first appears, can I just say. Isn't it? I, I mean, don't know. I... I feel like it's not. I feel like it's just not. Like, there are bits here that don't feel like they quite line up correctly to me. I mean, I'm I'm willing to buy it. I don't think we've been given any evidence that makes me question it yet. Um, I mean, I could just be missing it, but I'm willing to believe that it's just creepy auger girl lady. Mm. Um, I, I think the, the, the thing that jumped out to me here was this uh, bit... Where Miss mentions that, you know, when when Gilly kind of scared her off uh, by being a very, like, scary fairy, he, he he sort of, one of the things is she had to forget the particulars. That was part of the deal. Mm. And I just sort of realized when, I, when that was part of the deal, that's the third deal I can think of that has involved someone forgetting as part of the deal. Right. Like, obviously, you so have the, the whole thing with the wolf. one with Louise. Um, Louise did that in yeah. the prologue. Like that, that's sort of at least three now. I'm at and this I mean, stage, the forgetfulness can... of people who interact with the hungry choir, like when people are erased by the hungry choir, you're right, that seems to be a recurring theme. Yeah, so it's just led me now to be convinced. Like, say two people teamed up to kill the Carmine Beast, couldn't they just make a deal to forget they did it mm. afterwards? And then mm. they can actually honestly, because almost everyone has answered the like, did you do it thing with a qualifier of like, not as far as I'm aware, because. They, they say, oh, I don't want to get, you know, in trouble for actually having done it accidentally and the spirits call me out on that. Yeah. But if you made a deal and actually forgotten, then you can say things like, not as far as I'm aware, and it's true. Yeah. So I'm at this point, I'm like 99% convinced that that is what the culprit slash culprits have done. Yeah, you're right. There has been a lot of forgetting things, hasn't there? Almost yeah, and certainly it's, that it's, it's such a good way part. to skirt the, uh, like, you can't lie like, mm. thing. Mm. Interesting. Interesting. Yeah, we'll see. I like that theory. Um, can we talk about this little argument where Verona and Avery are arguing about having both wanting to have Alpi as a familiar? <laughs> yes. Like, Verona has a good point, but Avery is clearly just, like, jealous. And, <laughs> and even from Lucy's perspective, she kind of realizes this is just a silly, like, little girl argument. It got. It feels like a petty middle school love triangle, doesn't it? It's so yeah, good. It's funny um, as heck. Like once again, Lucy is the only person wearing big girl shoes in this trio, um, where she's just kind of like eye rolling at them because you know I I love I can't remember exactly the context, but Avery just has this line to Verona where she's like, you know, it's also about personality. <laughs> <laughs> so good. Oh, Avery, you goofball. Um, but uh, the other thing I, I really want to talk about from this little bit here as well. So obviously, um. Nicolette comes at them with her happy tree friends, and uh, Lucy uses the nettle wisp. Um, you know what I need to start doing, as well as making like an inventories like spreadsheet. We need 
like one sort of crossed off because I, I yeah or, what's been used although i suppose the glamour is glamour like specific to each one or is it kind of you these are different ways to use it i feel like, like there it's all the one specific glamour. types of glamours weren't they maybe not i don't know no because i think they're like mo- i don't know anyway um because i think don't they get more i don't know if it's specific or if it's like you can use one glamour for every application mm. anyway um so lucy uses the the nettle wisp sort of defense thing that they learnt from um, Marusica. Um, but she does it with this, uh, to quote Miss, interesting blend of fairy magic with goblin intent. Um, and, uh, like, I, I guess this sort of ties back to her thoughts on the movie. Like, she sort of ch- charms this thing with the idea of if they hurt us, hurt them back three times as much. Um, but this idea of mixing fairy magic and goblin intent, I think we harped on a lot about how they're kind of opposites. And, and like, it feels like this might be an important line I don't know. It just really jumped out to me as something that seemed crucial because it, those two things shouldn't blend. Yeah, like they're they're sort of opposites. I I, I don't know exactly. I, you know, I, I I don't have the oh yes, like I I get what this means, but it feels like a line that'll come back. Like maybe maybe it relates to the stuff Booker was talking about with the sort of be nice but then mess them up if they mess with you type thing. Like interesting. Like you know, she's got this ring on, and it's like if they touch her, then they get hurt. Like you know so much more back like i i don't know like it just it just really speaks to that kind of sense of justice lucy has but it's this idea of it being a mix of fairy and goblin um you know it's like oh lure them in with with niceties and then if they hurt you like strike at them like a goblin like blunt and forceful Mm. i don't know Mm. interesting i know we'll come back we'll come back to this maybe yeah yeah we'll see um Oh, yeah, we get confirmation that Miss is lost, which I think everyone had started predicting. But as I can tell in Pale Predictor, the first person to predict that was Fairlax. We had a few people predict it. Fairlax, Fubo. Uh, Lapsed Classicist really got it bang on, where they said, Miss was a lost creature like what Avery might encounter on the path, possibly tied to some incarnation, which was just like 100% correct. (laughs) So good work, Lapsed Classicist. Yeah, that's um, that, that's really good because we definitely saw people suggesting she was a lost practitioner a lot. I think guessing that she's a, I mean, I, I I guess you know how do things become lost? There's definitely a sense like Miss says she might have been an echo or something like maybe she was a practitioner who got lost and it just happened so long ago she doesn't remember. Yeah, like I I think the thing with the lost is you maybe don't know. Yeah, you don't really know what you were, but it does seem likely that she didn't have to have been a practitioner. Like the other lost yeah. things we meet don't seem to have been practitioners in a past life. Although, maybe. They could, I mean, they could have Todd. been. Apart from Todd, who's <laughs> yeah. clearly a weirdo. But um, um, yeah, I, I mean, this is this is great. Um, like, I'm like, I'm so impressed. So many people picked it, and then obviously, like, this is the perfect point for us to learn it because it sort of primes us for some of the people we're going to meet next chapter um and i think one of the things i want to touch on from from that like to, to sort of take some knowledge from 2.9 and apply it here one of the things we learn from the others avery meets is that they take a lot of their shape and form from the person visiting the path mm. um like the path itself obviously does but i think there's a line where one of the others sort of implies that they too are filled in by the practitioner who's visiting mm. so Wait, how much of Miss is of the person whose place she took? Like, that's such mm. an interesting dynamic to me is, like, she's Miss, but she's the version of Miss that is kind of empowered by 
this one specific practitioner whose place she she nicked from reality mm. um and what does that mean like that's that's a very interesting sort of identity crisis to be having constantly i imagine mm. yeah i wonder and does that potentially mean that whoever miss is like you know infected with the humanity of is maybe potentially going to be relevant to the story if that uh comes up too much um yeah i mean i mean potentially i i think it's just like i you know it'd be interesting to sort of know what that what what parts of her like how much of the miss that we know is an ex-practitioner and how much does that matter yeah yeah because she does seem to have practitioner-esque kind of knowledge but maybe that is just because she's another i don't know yeah, she says she like went through like the Forest Ribbon Trail and some others just on instinct, which is such insanity to me that actually now that you've said that, I'm more willing to believe that it's knowledge she absorbed from the practitioner, like <laughs> when when the stairwell web was was formed, because yeah. uh, that's so insane to me um, that she did it on instinct. Yeah, but um, yeah. I I think as well the big thing here for Miss um, really is. She has no spot in the universe, and so the universe is, like, conspiring to give her a role, and that's why she's so afraid of things like the Hungry Choir and, and stuff. Like, she, she's kind of a fugitive from the universe, in a way. Uh, it makes yeah. sense now why she's kind of the de facto leader of Kennet, because she's an expert at dodging the universe. Yeah. Yeah, I wonder if she became that as well as uh, to try and carve that as a role for herself, like leading this group. Well, I, yeah, I mean that was that was a, a theory I sort of brought up in my live reads. Is is she, you know, she's kind of set up now. She's the leader, essentially, the the chaperone mm. of these three practitioners of the town. Now, obviously, I think if we're looking at Mrs. trying to like take a role for herself, the Carmine Beast seems like an obvious one. Like she's yes, like you know, making her the murderer who wants to take the Carmine Beast's position seems like an obvious um, motive. Yeah, definitely. I, I, I wonder if it's not... Like, to take another step, that's going to be a violent and bloody thing, but the whole situation also let her awaken some practitioners. I wonder if actually her plan is to maybe, like, usurp these three. Or, like, you know, I, I think the, the thing I said in my live read is does she want to become, like, the Lord of Kennet or something, you know? like Yeah, or maybe even, like, a, for being a, coming a familiar or something would be a goal for her. I don't know. It could be why she's pushing Avery to be a, a finder. Yeah, true. Um, setting up these three as fairly weak practitioners that she can become a, you know, a, a familiar of that has enough agency to, you know, do the things that she wants to still be doing. I don't know. Yeah, yeah. I mean, she's definitely got, she's set up a mentor role over yeah. the three of them. So, yeah, I could definitely see that. I, I don't know. Wait, it's definitely, you got to kind of, miss sets herself up here as someone who is obsessed with roles and where people stand and i can't help but then start to assess all these roles and and (laughs) things that are in the story and try to see how she might be trying to manipulate pieces yeah um yeah so that's uh is that everything about 2.8 anything else you want to say here before we jump into 2.9 uh they shouldn't be doing this well too late for that because we jump into (laughs) 2.9 the forest ribbon trail um Avery is uh, sent to the Forest Ribbon Trail and meets her opossum companion. Yeah. And, and it's like, I hope it's okay for me to just sort of say here, this is the most packed-y version, or the most packed-y chapter of Pale so far, in my opinion. Like, if you haven't read Pact, this is the sort of stuff I loved in Pact. Not just, you know, the 
insane setting um but the way this chapter fucks with your mind yeah um, like this if you haven't reread this chapter please go and do so with the snowdrop twist in mind yeah it it's so good it changes everything like this is this is this was like being back on deep impact for me like going back to read the chapter a second time and just having my mind blown about 10 times yeah um, it's so good it is good isn't it this really is a head fuck kind of chapter it's fun to have one of these be back there's so much to <laughs> there's so much that happens i actually don't think we'll have that much to talk about for this chapter just because the chapter kind of explains itself a lot and, and it's a chapter designed for rereading. So like a lot of the stuff that we would say about it, people will probably have already, you know, come to their own conclusions of. Yeah, this is going to be one of those weird ones. Like you, you tend to assume when you sit down to do these podcasts that there'll be a correlation between how much you love a chapter and how long you talk about it. Um, I think this is going to be one of those chapters where that's not the case because if that was true, we'd probably be here for another four hours. Uh, like I love this chapter. Um but weirdly, I think it's so it's such a self-contained little masterpiece that we may not actually talk about it for that long. Yeah, um, I think I I, I want to run through a few specific things uh, rules for the Forest Ribbon Trail because I didn't. I think I read this for the first time and I was like, yeah, I'll get most of it. And man, there was so much stuff that I just realized I hadn't remembered or like missed the details of, like yeah, what I the, the five I, objects I, I, are. I had the 2.3 bonus notes with the Forest yep. Ribbon Trail description open on my second monitor as I yeah. was reading this, and I was constantly referring back. Like those who followed my live read would know there was one part where, I, like, the bit where Avery turns around, I was confused for ages, and I had to sort of go back because I missed the bit where it said, with the skull, you've got to turn, turn around. around. Yeah, exactly. Um, I only read the part that was like, you you need to hold it in front of you. So I was waiting for her to grab the boy and hold hold him in front of her. And then when she turned around, I was like, what's going on? I mean, what's she doing? Yeah, totally. Um, um, yeah, I think, anyway, the, I think the bonus bit and the chapter play off each other so well. Yes. I think the part that's going to be the most important is what the uh, woven object and the timepiece are. So the woven object is to do with blindness and being ensnared. Um, and the timepiece is about waiting and losing time and losing things that are valuable to you. And those are going to come up a lot in the finale. Um, the also thing, the other thing being about the detour, if you aren't going to do a good bargain, um, which you need your boon companion for, because an element of the bargain is that you don't get to leave and you have to put your boon companion in that position for you. Uh, if you aren't going to bargain with the wolf, you need to take the detour uh, past the branch with no ribbon tied to it. And there are a few items there that will come up. Um, like the branch without a ribbon and there's a rope that will catch you and et cetera, et cetera. Um, actually this rope, now that I've reread this and I'm like, oh, this rope, if you bring the rope with you, you get an unusual but familiar means of transportation. So that's basically exactly what they need. So hopefully if they get the rope and, and Avery gets out, that will solve their transport problems. Uh, I totally disagree because the only solution that is acceptable at this point in the story to me is the one that lets let's snowdrop let's somebody. Avery get out with Snowdrop. But that is the detour. The detour, you can't get out with Is that intrinsic companion. to the detour? I thought yes. you had to take one of the three objects with you. Um, oh, true. Sorry. Yeah, I, I, I think you don't have to take one of them. I think you can just take any of them on the detour, but maybe I'm wrong. Uh, the, other, the third object being your boon companion that you can, that you can keep. Um, maybe you're yeah, right. Yeah, you're right. I, I suppose... Suppose the the one item limit probably doesn't apply to the detour, because uh, yeah. what's the wolf going to do about it? Yeah, exactly. Like you know, whatever. Um, anyway, so 
I, the other twist, obviously, I mean, we're going in full spoilers. Everyone should know the, twi- the Snowdrop twist. If you don't, go back and... <laughs> it's um, so good. Reread it, please. Yeah. Like, just for yourself. Because it took everything I had not to just put every single Snowdrop line in this script to yes, quote. they're pretty Because great, all of they? them are completely recontextualized. Yeah. It was my favorite thing to go back through the Reddit comments on this chapter afterwards and be like, oh, my God, yeah, that's what Snowdrop was saying. Oh, yeah, <laughs> yeah. that. Yeah. Um, yeah, cool. Uh, all right, cool. Shall we, um, should we dive into it? So yeah, we meet Snowdrop, who is the, uh, opossum boon companion and they're so great. Like they're so endearing. The first read through, you're like, who's this? And then you, you kind of grow <laughs> to love them by the end. And then the second read through, you absolutely fall in love with them. Uh, yeah, I loved Snowdrop a lot the first time through. And then the second time knowing she's always saying the opposite of what she means i loved her a thousand times more she was always uh i mean yeah it's it's so good i mean uh, okay before before we just start fawning over snowdrop forever um i i, I just wanted to go back as well because the opening of this chapter with the the whole like alice in wonderland wizard of oz majora's mask sort of nature of this world in our minds like the way avery kind of twirls in and, and, and falls, falls into it down yeah is totally. very very appropriate to all those sorts of stories and yes. it's one of those other details where again reading at the same time you're like oh oh yeah duh. yeah like, <laughs> um, um but anyway sorry yes back to snowdrop i, I think the one the one that i'll pull out is when snowdrop says that's so lame, the opossum girl said. You look so uncool. Which, I mean, it's a perfect example of the way that Snowdrop is so endearing the second time around because Snowdrop is just obsessed and in love with Avery, and it's great. <laughs> yeah, she's she's saying Avery's, let's be honest, lame and uncool witch's outfit is actually awesome. Um, yeah, we need to get Snowdrop out of here and I know oh familiarised with Avery, like, stat. The problem is if... Y- We'll talk about the idea of this teaching a moral to Avery, but if the moral of this place is that you can't save everybody, Snowdrop is the example <laughs> of that, right? And that's what scares me. No, but we already we we learnt it with the other possum. Yeah, sure, now. that one that clearly Less, they didn't want to save, so that didn't learned. really impart a lesson. <laughs> um, I, I think my favourite line, like I've also limited myself to just pulling the one, um, my favourite Snowdrop line uh with the twisted mind might be when they're mm-hmm. talking about like how Avery got here and Snowdrop basically says to her, Oh, you're so prepared for this crap. Yeah. <laughs> Which like I, I actually think I brought that up in my life read and I was like, why has Snowdrop said this? This is weird. Like it doesn't fit. And now now like, with the twisted yeah. mind it's like she's scolding Avery for coming in here completely unprepared, which is very fair. Yes. Um the one I really liked was when the other possum says Snowdrop here is lying to you, the voice said. She has been from the beginning. You read that you didn't need to close your eyes, so why are your eyes closed? And it's so great that, like, Snowdrop has to lie, and this thing obviously is telling the truth almost all the time. and Or all the time, if not if not all the time. Um, uh, uh, yeah, I think, I think it is telling the truth all the time. Like, based on my second read-through, which has some interesting implications for what's going to happen after this chapter. Yes. Um, but the, 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 the thing is, like... The fact that Snowdrop has to lie is such an exploitable weakness that this other possum thing so easily pulls out and, like, teases at, and it just is so juicy. Fuck. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, it's it's funny because, it, like, in a way, it's no 
better or it's just as much of a weakness as always having to tell the truth right because having to tell the exact opposite of the truth is just as limiting if not maybe more limiting um because she always has to say the opposite of what she means um uh, i i mean the interesting implication for that to me is others aren't meant to be able to lie right Mm, no so if snowdrop gets out of the forest ribbon trail like say avery does save her or whatever is Snowdrop, is that still going to be a thing? Like, is that a is that limited to the, the Forest Ribbon Trail? Or is that... Because that, that would be a very interesting thing to take into the rest of the world. This one creature that always lies as opposed to never lying. Yeah, like, used sparingly and cleverly, that could be a huge asset. Mm. If the default assumption is that others have to tell the truth mm. and you've got one who always does the opposite, like, that feels incredibly powerful. Yeah, that's a good point. I wonder. It's, it's something I hadn't really thought of, but that's dependent on them getting Snowdrop out, which isn't going to happen, I'm afraid. Yeah, I mean, well, there's a lot of steps before we can worry <laughs> about that being a factor. Yeah, I, I, can't, I can't think of a way that Avery has the opportunity to get Snowdrop out and doesn't. Like, I've got my fingers crossed that Nicolette got Snowdrop out and we're going to have to mount a rescue mission. A rescue op. Maybe <laughs> we'll see. Um, you'd would you rather have Snowdrop or Avery escape from this situation? Don't make me choose. Oh no! Oh no! <laughs> um, I so yeah. Avery kind of uh, continues on. Actually, yeah. I mean, we've touched on how this is a huge mindfuck. I love it. Like it's so great. Like we haven't we haven't had anything that's this level of intensely mindfuck, and it's just so much fun. Yeah, I like. I agree. I love this stuff. Um, I love how. Like, there are so many rules. Like, as we sort of already touched on, like, I was jumping back and forth between 2.9 and, and the 2.3 extra material to try and follow what was going on. Um, but it's, there's just enough, like, interpretation and variation in the path that you can't quite be 100% sure. Like, what I love is, even with all these rules, there were still multiple points on my first read-through where I was like, okay, wait, so what's, what is this then? Mm, yeah. There's like, a, it, it, yeah, it's so much fun that despite all the rules, there's still a lot open yeah, to, like, it, questioning as you're going. Like, there's so many rules that even though you know them all, and Avery clearly knows them all, it's still so confusing, even when you follow them 100%. Like, so we go go along, and Avery kind of has this moment where she outsmarts the basket, and she kind of outsmarts the, the cat skull, and she's doing very well, even though she doesn't really quite get everything that's going on. It's just like, there's a whole lot of... There's a whole lot of stuff that even though Avery is going very well, it still is so confusing. Yeah, and I think Snowdrop's definitely a part of that. Like, I think the second time through, part of why it was so much clearer is because when you know that Snowdrop's always lying, yeah, what she's saying makes a lot more sense. But the, the way she opens up, it casts doubt on everything, yeah. um, which obviously is exactly what Avery needs. Um but yeah, and then obviously we meet this other possum who wants to get swapped for Snowdrop. Um, and it's it's funny, like, again, this is one where you've got to reread it because I kind of assumed this other possum was lying yeah. or being deceitful. Um, and I think it is to some degree, but I think everything it says seems to be 100% true, um, which like just the, the bits where Snowdrop and this other possum are both talking to Avery kind of at the same time reads so differently when you've kind of flipped what you think they might be doing yeah. the first time through yeah um 
the fact that this other possum isn't just always lying also means that it's not a possum. So something funky is going on with it. <laughs> Makes it so much I mean, creepier. Isn't it? Isn't it a woman holding a possum I mean, in her yeah. hands and the possum talks with an adult voice? Like, it's clearly fucked it's up. clearly something <laughs> wonky. I, yeah. Um, I want to talk about how well Avery actually is doing. Like, shit, she does so much better than I think I would in this situation. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah, like, she doesn't, she doesn't put it all together, but she has so many, like, I, not even guesses, but just kind of estimates that are so bang on, like, oh, there's someone out of place, it's probably an invader. Like, she kind of realizes that she should be doing the opposite of what Snowdrop says, even though she doesn't quite connect that until later. Like, a bunch of things where, damn, she's, like, really kicking ass here. Yeah, she does, uh, like, yeah, the fact that I was constantly behind her um, shows, like, how good she was doing relative to how well I would do. Um I mean, like, Avery relates this a lot in the chapter to sort of, like, her sports ball skills. Um, and I really like that because we, we've seen in her head how she kind of is with sports and that mentality. And so it was really cool to see, you know, that kind of dialed up to 100. Mm. Um, like, this is such a cool extension of that. It's obviously a whole nother level. But it's, you know, thinking on her feet, like, adapting, reading the opposition and her allies even. Um, like she she does such a good job of doing all these things that are inherent skills for like team sports and she's adapting them to you know this very Being normal situation fine. yeah yeah um great work avery um so yeah she continues on and she has an encounter with todd the creepy dad who bites his nails normal guy todd yep just a regular dude nothing to see here no i i love the the way that tone and is is kind of conveyed here like <laughs> God, Wadbo makes it all so creepy with this Todd guy who's just kind of a guy with a gun, but then he talks about, like, laying eggs in people and how he <laughs> hasn't been a human for so long or even, like, interacted with a human for so long that he forgets how their pain works. Like, shit, man, Todd, fuck off. <laughs> yeah, I think it's funny because sort of right from the get-go, he's one of the scariest because you've got, like, a kid who's got, like, rats jammed in his face. You've got this talking hand possum. Um, you've got the giant doll, and then it's just like a normal guy in a suit and hanging Todd. out with them. It's like, okay, yeah. that's not right. He's the creepiest. Todd is even such an, a random guy name, you know? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Oh, hi, I'm Todd. I was like, no, okay, I don't trust this at all. Yeah, something creepy is going on. Um, <laughs> I, so there's this bit where Snowdrop is talking about bringing one thing, which is obviously a lie, and then she brings the basket at the end. Can Snowdrop just bring an extra thing? Is that her her ability? I don't. I, yes. Okay. I didn't. So quite yeah, get it. her 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 boon is that she can also carry another thing. thing. Is my my interpretation as well yeah. as her other property of never telling the truth. Yeah. Um. She can also deceive the path by bringing um an item of her own. So that would mean that theoretically Avery could get out with two things. So if Avery does get Snowdrop, maybe they can also get the rope or something. <laughs> I think I think not. What it means is that you can like be holding both, and the path won't shit on you. I, I think there was an implication that if Avery was trying to hold both, like isn't it when she picks up the, the coin, coin, she drops the basket. The, well, then... the basket thing, it it just pops off her belt. So I think it's like you right. you can't have you more than one. Literally can't take more than one. Yeah, but like you know, if you bring an opossum, you can. Cool. Seems good. Good, sort good of. I, I assume you can only use one for the negotiation if, unlike Avery, you get to actually do that. Um, yeah. But it's kind of like, it, you know, it, it would let you sidestep two of the, um, of the like, things you have to do and stuff. Yeah. Um, yeah. 
Uh, I I want to talk about this other possum, the evil possum, let's call it. <laughs> I feel bad for them. Like, obviously, they're bad. Like, obviously, they're evil, right? Like, they're going to do yes. evil things. Based on what Snowdrop says, it seems like they're going to do evil, horrifying things. But still, they're literally begging for their freedom. Like, I can't help but feel bad for them. Yeah, I mean, you know, they talk about how awful it is to be lost. And you're kind of like, yes, okay, you're like a terrible monster and stuff. But, like, this does seem like a pretty shitty life i don't i don't know um it's hard to blame this evil possum for like making the plays that it does i would do the same if i was capable and i was in that situation yeah and it does try to be helpful like it tells her where the coin is right like it does a few things that are like genuinely good faith acts of like please i'll help you let me out yeah and it seems to always tell the truth so assuming it was telling the truth in all the things it was going to swear to help her with like they were pretty good things i mean you know killing uh, Todd. Like, <laughs> Snowdrop heavily implies that it's like, yes, she will do these nice things for you and then be like a bane on existence for the world or whatever. Um, but yeah, like it's hard not to feel a bit sorry for this e- like clearly evil possum that is in what seems to be the worst situation ever. Yeah. Um, I, yeah. I want to talk about the other line that this, that this other evil possum brings up, which is the fact that there's a moral here, right? It's something that we see a bit, but we don't really get it explained. Like, most of the stuff in this chapter we get explained by the end of the chapter. It's got a few reveals and it kind of explains itself. But not the moral. Like, the one that is possibly, you know, revealed by the creepy evil possum is that it's something to do with, like, learning that she can't save everybody. But that doesn't seem to eventuate by the end of this chapter, at least. It might be that, and, and maybe, you know, Snowdrop won't be saved because of that, but it might be something like that. But we just don't really know what yet. I think the way the evil possum frames it at one point is that not saving people is kind of the second thing she has to face. It's the second right. reality she has to face. And I mean, so this bit, the quote you you just sort of um, referenced is sandwiched in between the bit where this other possum is really begging and just being like, I think it actually says like, please, I'm begging you. Mm. Um, and that's when Avery just kind of tosses the coin uh, back at it. Yeah. Um, so, like, I think maybe here in this bit you've referenced, that is sort of the moral she's learning. She can't save everyone. She has to leave this in behind. Whereas, like, may- maybe it's like each leg has a bit of a, a, a lesson in it. Mm. Um, like, so in the first one, I think this evil possum kind of teaches her, you know, the fact that this is Alice in Wonderland, Wizard of Oz type stories, like Isekai stories. Yeah. Um, so, I don't know, maybe there's a bit of a lesson or moral to the third leg as well that we will get to sorry there's a it's just making me realize that what the evil possum says is when you figure out that first realization there's another moral two steps down the path right something i think it's even that exact wording which maybe makes me think that yes each step of the path is a like a a kind of extension of that moral so step one is this is an alice in wonderland story step two is you can't say everybody what's the step three of that you know yeah yeah or yeah i don't know how much they need to relate it's maybe it's just kind of this is you know this three act path and each one has its own lesson yeah it's a trilogy um i yeah i I don't know like she because the other thing like avery sort of leans into this whole i need to be my confident best self thing after she also sort of learns this lesson of i can't save everyone maybe that is meant to be her third third maybe 
maybe if she stands up to the maybe i don't know this this seems too simple but maybe she just stands up to the wolf and puts it in its place mm, and, and that, is confident doesn't hesitate yeah. she will get a sort of power over it i don't know mm. i now i really want to go back and look at all the times the wolf hits her because i think it's when she's like looking away and hesitating so i don't know maybe there's something there yeah yeah like maybe, maybe that's just all it'll take is is her to get confident mm. and, and sort of beat down the wolf um you know with Verbally, her words yeah oh physically she's got a hockey stick why not yeah pequeno ostos yeah pequeno ostos exactly um so avery uh gets to the wolf gets this final leg of the journey and the wolf of course has the timepiece um and so avery gets the trades for the timepiece but now the wolf is closest to the timepiece and can waste her time but snowdrop's holding the basket and there's a lot of like switcheroos and double <laughs> dealings and all kind of stuff I don't. I, I did not follow it the first time at all, but uh, that was true for most of this chapter, I think. Yeah, I was about to say, this was one of the few parts of the chapter I think I understood, mostly because I'd given up on understanding all the details on my first read through. Right. Um. Yeah, you're right. Like a, a lot of switcheroos. Like this is where a bunch of the twists all sort of hit us in very quick succession. Yeah. Um. That have sort of been hanging over us the whole chapter. Yeah. So we learned Snowdrop is a dirty, friendly liar. And can also take something to the wolf. So Snowdrop has the basket. So then Snowdrop has the basket become the closest thing to the wolf. So then the wolf can blind Avery. So the wolf blinds Avery. But then Snowdrop gets kidnapped because the doll is actually Nicolette Belanger. And Nicolette (laughs) Belanger steals Snowdrop. And now Snowdrop and the basket are gone. So now, therefore, the wolf can waste Avery's time again. But she's also blinded. So it really just goes badly very quickly. (laughs) Yeah, basically, Avery gets the worst of both worlds for trying to be sneaky, um, thanks to Nicolette. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I mean, obviously, yes, she seems pretty fucked uh, at this stage. Well, uh, it, it's, it seems possible to escape until we get to the next chapter, which I'll talk about in a moment as well, <laughs> where it gets worse. Um, but yeah, it's a rough situation. I, the problem is, without Snowdrop, she can't really negotiate with the wolf because you need the boon companion to take your place in that negotiation, right? Like, or she'll just be stuck here forever, basically, right? Yeah, I mean, that that is seemingly part of the deal you will have to strike is you have to stay forever and then you sort of say, oh, no, my boon companion's yeah. going to do that. Yeah. Um. So unless, unless Avery can make a deal with the wolf that involves letting her go, like, sh- yes, I- exactly. And, and, like, I... I feel like if it's even possible to let the get the wolf to let you go, it would have to be like a pretty insane deal. Like, a, oh, I'll bring ten other people to the forest yeah. trail, and you can have them. Like, which is not the sort and of deal Avery probably did. should be making. Yeah, um, yeah. Uh, it seems like that the only option, the two options here are somehow get Snowdrop back and sacrifice her, or take the detour. Right. Yes, but I, I think the bonus bit. Oh, the extra material for this week basically seems to just be there to tell us that that's not an option. Should we? Um, um, should we talk I about mean, that? Or just, just sort of before we do. Um, so, assuming the evil possum was always not just telling the truth but correct about everything, um, one of the things they mention is that you know Avery won't be getting looked for till tomorrow afternoon and that's when they like ring her phone and the phone will just hear her and the wolf mm. um like crying or her crying the wolf probably not crying although maybe yeah um that it's could be a sort of psychological yeah. tactic i don't know yeah. um but yeah so it's sort of like at, she's gonna be here until at least tomorrow afternoon from the looks of it yeah um which is yeah i mean i guess the time piece i'm kind of optimistically sort of sitting here thinking oh well the reason 
they didn't go more specifically into her future is because the timepiece is going to mean she's here till tomorrow afternoon, but after then there's still hope. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. It's grim. Uh, assuming that bad possum was telling the truth about everything, that means it's grim. Right. Yeah. Um, I mean, there doesn't seem ends. to be many ways out. <laughs> uh, thanks to Nicolette, who yeah. is, you know, got her third win. I re- like, she really didn't fuck around getting that third win. There yeah. must have been like an hour between the the loss of the happy tree friends and the doll face victory yeah um yeah so over is pretty screwed um yeah. and then we get to end of the trail in which we all play a horrible game of spot the difference <laughs> this is such a fun little tease i that, that is what i would call this comic just yeah, a tease because um it 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 just gives us just enough to wait I, I know when i first opened it i was like oh we're gonna get answers and i was like no you're not no we're just gonna um, get the we're gonna get options taken off the table basically is all yeah, it and, is. I, and i think it's because i think the extra material is all technically stuff you don't need for the story yeah but that's why it's extra material and it's not in the table of contents so i like it made sense in retrospect but i got my own hopes up for a sec yeah. um but I really like the aesthetic of this comic, like the bright reds, the pale blues, yeah. and then everything else is very dark, like blacks, greys, browns. Um, it reminds me a bit of what we sort of talked about in our Standstills, Stay Silent pilot season episode about like yep. color palettes in comics. Yeah. Yeah. It was it was great, wasn't it? It's It really is a beautiful little depressing thing. <laughs> 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 yeah. Yeah, exactly. Uh, I really, yeah, I really liked the style. Yeah. Um, of yeah of this you know short little snippet um that said i am very glad Walbo also included the like uh you know visually impaired text version of it um not only because that's like a good thing to be doing just in general but also i did not notice that the branch was missing until i went down and read that yeah um so i'm very glad i did yeah so the thing that happens in this is um we see a picture of the branch without a ribbon which is the marker for the detour we hear a lot of crunching. We see uh, Avery trying and failing to call Miss John Styles, Lucy and Verona to help her. None of that works. And then we see that the branch has been eaten. The The marker for the detour has been eaten by the wolf, um, which presumably doesn't mean that, that Avery can't get into the detour, just that she won't be able to find it. But she did notice it before. She did see, she did see that branch without a ribbon before when she first got to the wolf. So maybe she'll remember, remember yeah. and be able to go down there. I don't know. Um, well, I think I think the 2.3 extra material uh, like on the Forest Ribbon Trail says that part of the taking the detour is you have to cast down the branch. Right. Um, which I guess you just need to knock over the wolf. <laughs> yeah, I guess that counts. Um, Who knows? Now that it's in their tummy. I, I don't know. Um, it, it definitely, like, it, it seems, I, I'm kind of just assuming now going, going forward that the detour isn't an option because that, that seems to be the the point of this mm. comic mm. uh if, if that makes sense like it so much of this is dedicated to showing that avery doesn't have anyone who can come for her and also you know the fact that two panels are dedicated to showing this branch went missing seems to say to me that we should just assume that the detour is off limits otherwise i don't know why there'd be so much emphasis on that i think the only person who can save her now is snowdrop so next chapter is going to be a snowdrop interlude where Snowdrop escapes Nicolette Belanger's clutches, comes back, saves Avery, saves the day, and then becomes the boon companion in the place of Avery and stays with the wolf forever. And that's just a real fuck you to the audience at the end of it. Oh, man, making Gabe's interlude fucking Yeah, exactly. It's an escalation on Gabe's interlude. (laughs) 
Um, yeah, my my only other like galaxy brain pick for um an interlude next chapter was uh the wolf. Ooh, what uh, would that even just be? Cause, just because I want to learn like the underlying stuff of the path, but um, I, I I don't know. I feel like we're either heading for an interlude chapter or like Verona and Lucy freak out time. Yeah, um, which would be its own kind of fun. Damn, um, we'll see. We'll have to see. Uh, I yeah. mean, uh, I mean, Nic- Nicolette. I I feel like is the other thing because she that seems powerful to me that she was just able to infiltrate Avery's trip to the the Forest Ribbon Trail, like you know within. Yeah an hour or so of of the happy tree friends fight like yeah yeah i i don't know that that that's that's pretty powerful yeah uh, we'll have I, to I'm, see. I'm more worried about going up against nicolette if she can do shit like this mm. Mm. well i don't know <laughs> that's to even have to worry about that we've got a few things that we need to solve first so i'm focused on yeah. the more immediate problem of every so fucked well they've got until the afternoon i mean they don't know that but we know that yeah yeah true um Man, I mean, this plan of getting there for the Hungry Choir seems like it's not going to happen now, though, hey? I, yeah, you're right. I have given up on the idea that they will still be able to use this to deal with the Hungry Choir. It's now just, just stop save Avery, Avery from being yeah. stolen away. Yeah, yeah. focus on that first. Um, cool. So, uh, yeah, that's uh, the grim place that this these chapters end. Um, but before we wrap up, we want to dive into some predictions that people have left in our Pale Predictor spreadsheet. Yes. see what uh, so you, predictions we like from that yes uh so you can find a link to that in the show notes below if Heck you've yeah. got any uh you know hot predictions coming mm-hmm. off of uh, 2.9 or the kitchen sorry i said fresh and hot out the kitchen yep exactly um yeah uh so hit us up with with any you know from 2.9 the the bonus bit even whatever the next chapter is yep um but yeah uh what so what prediction have you brought this week i Ruben? brought a prediction just a little simple one from a user called natan who, like Nathan without an H, um, who said that Lucy's pink hair is a marker that she was selected explicitly in order to succeed the Carmine Beast. Just a quick little prediction, but one that I quite like. I like the idea that these three are somehow related to the Carmine Beast, and this is a different take on it from some of the other ones we've talked about. Lucy's hair, just a little bit of foreshadowing. Yes, she's going to become the Carmine Beast. Yeah, I mean, Lucy's hair is definitely, like, you know, a, a Chekhov's hair. Yeah, um, that classic thing, Chekhov's yeah, hair. Yeah. Um, like, it, it, it's funny, I'd kind of forgotten about the pink aspect to it because, obviously, there's been a lot of focus on her hair just in the real world as yes. well, like how, how to handle it. Um, the the pink aspect to it, it, it has to be something that's going to be it important must be at some point, right? I would, I would yeah, expect. you would think. Um, yeah, I mean, that's interesting. I wonder if that is we talked a bit about how miss is maybe setting up roles for herself or whatever i wonder if this is all part of the way if lucy's meant to be the next carmine um i don't know would she be like the carmine person i don't know yeah carmine Um, gal (laughs) the carmine kennedy um the carmine trio maybe that's something that sounds like it could be something well, like, okay, like, what if Avery's being set up to be a finder so Miss can, I don't know, do something with that? Like, Miss is lost, so I'm just connecting finder and lost. Yeah. Uh, fill in the, the gap of what the actual point of that is yourself. Yeah. Um, then Lucy's meant to be the Carmine Beast's successor, mm. which then I'm kind of like, okay, so what's Verona doing? Becoming another. <laughs> <laughs> just yeah. becoming the local cat pest. Yeah, becoming a cat. She's, yeah, she'll get stuck. It's her destiny. Yeah. Um, yeah. Okay. Well, so I pulled out a prediction by Uncle Thermoscales, um, who 
just sort of point out there was this little detail we didn't touch on where when Lucy was setting up the Nettle Wisp Glamour, um, she used like her bank card mm. to kind of like organize the powder on the paper. Mm. Um, to cut it and, up like she was doing cocaine, basically. Yeah, I mean, basically. Uh, and that's what Uncle Thermoscales has touched on this idea that like if, if some of it got stuck on her bank card and it stays there as like white powder, and then for whatever reason her mum finds her wallet. And sees a bank card with like white powder spread along the bottom, like mm. that's gonna raise pretty fucking serious questions. Mm, yeah. Uh oh. <laughs> oh boy. Yeah, that sounds bad. Um, I mean, we'll see. Again, if we get to the point where that's our biggest problem, great. That <laughs> yeah, sounds yeah. great at this point to me. <laughs> yeah. If 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 the biggest problem is one of the Kennedy's parents think they're on drugs, I'll call that a win. Yep. You're right. Yep. Definitely. Oh man, I'm so worried for these for these three. Um, anyway, that's the end of the show. Um, we we usually do a discussion question. We didn't do one last week, but we have picked a new one for us to discuss for next week. Uh, so leave your answers to that in the thread down below. That discussion question is to clarify: design your own path based on a loose story type in as much detail as you'd like. So what would be on the story uh, on the path for this kind of story? Um, yeah. Yeah, so obviously the Forest Ribbon Trail seems to be based on stories about, you know, getting sucked into another world and trying to get home. Yep. Um, and yeah, so I guess, you know, is there another sort of soft genre or story structure um, that you think might get a path like this and, you know, just talk about, you know, what, what it might be like? I mean, this is one of the more creative writing type discussion questions we used to run during Deep Impact. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I'd be keen to see a kind of Narnia-esque, like a bit more of an adventure story type right because narnia books were all like oh you get sucked into this other world um yeah interesting yeah you know, someone wants to write that please do <laughs> <laughs> uh yes yeah, so we'll talk about those next week yeah um that's the end of our show folks so if you came just for the outro you can stop skipping ahead now because it's about to come up so i hope you're all excited <laughs> And welcome. Welcome. Welcome to the Goodbye. main part of the show. Um, thanks, for everyone, for tuning in. Again, leave your answers to our discussion questions in the discussion thread link down below. If you'd like, why not leave us a review on Apple Podcasts or iTunes or Stitcher or whatever, man. You do you. <laughs> uh, yes, if you want to see my live reads, they're over on Twitter, uh, mm -hmm. at MediaMD Podcast. Uh, we will be changing the name of that soon, though, probably. Yes. Uh, but for now, head on over to at MediaMD Podcast and check it out. Yeah, if you haven't heard, the MediaMD podcast, one of our other shows that we do, is coming to an end. Um, so check out the penultimate episode, which has gone out uh, a few days ago, uh, which is talking about Battlestart Galactico, which is a pretty good show that I quite liked. Yep, and you didn't butcher the name of at all. Isn't that it? Sorry, um, I, I only watched a few episodes of it, so I feel like I'm not quite <laughs> like I, I'm not quite up to date on my Battlestart, you know? Yeah, yeah. No, that's fair. Um, <clears throat> if you so uh, as part of ending ending Media MD as well, we will be taking on uh, a bit more of a role at the Doofcast. Mm -hmm. uh, so if you head on over to patreon.com forward slash doofmedia, you may notice that uh, some of the tiers involve forcing people on the Doofcast to watch stuff. Oh, yeah. uh, so we are now available to, you know, if, if you so feel uh, to donate and for you can name us as people you want to no, watch something. Don't tell them, Elliot. Then they'll do it, and then we'll have to watch anime. 
<laughs> no, Nobody I'm pretty sure Scott, Scott will still be yeah, the first true. choice Scott's for the Yeah, Scott's the animes. one that everyone loves inflicting anime on, so let's just keep <laughs> that meme going as long as possible so I don't have to go off and watch yeah, I, whatever. Go, you know what I don't want to watch? Space sci-fi shows. Don't, don't, oh, don't do that. <laughs> but the problem is then people are going to recommend like Cowboy Bebop or something that's like a space sci-fi <laughs> anime just to fuck with you. <laughs> um, no, Duffcast already did Cowboy Bebop, so that's off limits, everybody. No Cowboy Bebop <laughs> Um, uh, while yes. you're on Patreon, oh, also... <laughs> <laughs> you go. <laughs> while you're on Patreon, why not check out Wildbo's Patreon as well? Um, if you want to exchange the coin to him in a, uh, and get back the cat skull, there's only one good place to do it, and that's patreon.com forward slash Wildbo. Yes, exactly. He gives great boons uh, yeah. to those of us who give him the coin. He's the wolf, I suppose. Yeah, maybe he's the wolf. Is he the is he um Snowdrop or is he the wolf? I guess is the question. Or is he Nicolette Belanger? Mm. <laughs> no, it's you know how um you, you know how uh Avery asked for the adult old wolf. Right. You you could accidentally also ask for the wild boar, but you miss say boar. Mm. And so then you get the wild bow. Yeah. And he trades you stories in exchange in for the exchange coin. In exchange for the coin. I like that. What's the precious thing that he takes away from you? Just your sanity. I the guess. characters that he characters of his stories. Yeah. <laughs> he he creates precious things just to take them away. Classic wolf exactly. trick. Um yeah, so if you want that, I guess, go to Wild Bo's Patreon and, and chuck him some coin or some woven baskets or whatever you can uh, afford to do. Um yes. all right, folks, that's the end of our show. So have a good time. See you in a and week. we'll see you next time. <laughs> <laughs>